I V M. Chapter Nine. Trucks and Trends. Identifying trucks and trends is one of the most valuable skills any leader can possess. In startups and mature businesses, your ability to spot potential trouble is especially critical, saving your time, energy, and grief in the long run. Lose your focus for a minute, though, and those trucks will run you over before you know what's happened. In business, knowing how to spot a trend matters, and identifying the truck or train that's going to smash you head-on if you're not paying attention is doubly important. Although I've seen my share of both, the trucks are always memorable. In 2010, the movie *Chance Pedance* was a loaded truck coming towards us at top speed. On the surface, it was a delightful film starring Shahid Kapoor, a star-struck transplant to Mumbai who struggles to find work in Bollywood, and Janelia D'Souza, a choreographer who sacrifices her own dreams for a chance to find love. So far, so good. Initially, we thought it's Bollywood. How can we go wrong with a musical? And the same director-actor combination that successfully launched Shahid for his first movie. Then we proceeded to make every wrong turn on the way, including missing the trend with a film that, even when viewing the raw edits, we knew would go nowhere. From the beginning, Chance Pe Dance didn't come together. After more than a decade into our Bollywood studio model, we had enough experience producing films, watching dailies, and learning and sensing what worked and what didn't to spot the red flags. Though my gut insisted that something wasn't quite right, and I shared this unease with the team, I let the truck scream down the road right towards us anyway. For a straightforward genre film, the music on the whole was catchy. Everything else, though, was a disaster. The disconnect between vision and execution is hard to define, but easy enough to see. The more we tinkered with the story in the editing, the more we failed. Till in the end, it wasn't worth any tinkering. Worse, we had a core creative team with no buy-in on our judgment. That's not a point of criticism against the creative team, since anyone intimately involved with such a time and resource-intensive project wants to see it through. But even after a fair bit of reshooting and tweaking to make the movie respectable, we knew it was a lost cause. We could have pulled the plug and cut our losses after we were forty percent into the cost. But that's also the toughest time to make any business call. If you pull. You're almost certainly writing off the full cost, but who's to say for sure it's a complete write-off? That's when hope and who knows comes in, and those two rarely pay the bills. Needless to say, we didn't pull the plug, and we paid the price. We faced a similar situation with the movie Joker. A genre mashup of science fiction and comedy, whose promotional posters featured the inauspicious tagline, "Sometimes being alien is the only option." We read the script and all agreed, right? A bizarre genre styled in a make-believe world, great fun and a wacky concept that could be successful if it lands. Unfortunately, the only sound Joker made when it hit the ground was a thud. The film wasn't just a truck, but a whole train with twenty bogies attached. Sid Roy Kapoor and I both had a hunch when seeing the first half raw cut 
that even after the director and editors would have a chance to go back and fill in the gaps, the 20% often missing in the first cut, the film wouldn't hold together. There wasn't any reason to watch a single frame of that movie. It was one of those moments when every bone in your body shrieks. Why are we doing this? We should have taken the hard call right then and there and aborted. We didn't. The learnings from both films were steep. You have to take hard calls in life. Not always the popular ones, but what you think is right. We got totally entangled in quid pro quos and balancing acts, which can never work in any business. Things could only get messy. The director of Joker was the husband of Farah Khan, who we were about to sign for our next film. In addition, the lead, Akshay Kumar, had devoted a lot of time to prepare for the first half of shooting. He was in no mood to scrap the film or bring in another studio in our place, which would have meant straining our working relationship with a commercial star. In short, we did everything wrong. We compromised, we grinned, cringed and suffered through the next six months, trying to put up a brave and supportive front when we knew the inevitable outcome. What we didn't know was when to cut our losses and walk. Get that wrong more than once and you're floundering as an entrepreneur and a leader. That happened to me. It was wrong and foolish. If working relationships need to get strained because you're following your convictions, then let them. I've also learned that time heals a lot. If I had put my foot down that day, what's the worst that could have happened? We'd have had a head-on with both Farah and Akshay, but they would privately have understood and accepted our hard call. Finally, another studio would have stepped into our place. They may have compensated us for our expenses, at least in part, and the movie would have been released. And it still would have been a disaster. Life moves on. We tend to duck the unpopular hard decisions, not realizing that eventually when the results are out, we're not going to be popular anyway. Even today, I believe that spotting trucks is one of the most difficult aspects of leading an enterprise. In fact, if everyone could see the trucks coming without fail, the business world and the world in general would be a very different place. Wait, what's so difficult? You just jump aside, right? We're taught from a young age to do so when crossing the street. But in business, you've got to make sure your team gets out of the way too. Far from being seen as a saviour or a soothsayer, the leader who abandons his team, or worse yet, knowingly and willingly throws them under the truck, undermines his own credibility and erodes the foundation of trust and respect so vital to success. Your other option, of course, is to stand in the way and get hit. Not much of an option, if you ask me. Make those tough calls and get your team on board and everyone, though momentarily disappointed that their hard work didn't come to fruition, will thank you in an honest moment. Establishing that level of trust with a team, particularly a large one, requires all your talent and focus as an entrepreneur and leader. But when you're all on the same page, the payoffs and the camaraderie are well worth the effort. Teams rely on the leader's vision and judgment. In startups and mature businesses, your ability to spot potential trouble is critical, saving you time, energy and grief in the long run. 
Lose your focus for a minute though and those trucks will run you over before you know what's happened. Trends in business remains nothing more than good ideas until acted upon. Often we think trucks are somebody else's problem until it's just too late. Seeing around the bend, that is, doing your best to define all the unknowns that might come your way in the future and spotting both trucks and trends is foremost about becoming a better communicator, asking the right questions, encouraging your team to do the same and together developing plans of action for the best way forward. Preempting trends and gauging the future require, one, a deep understanding and the ability to analyze the past, as that embodies empirical evidence. Two, making sense of the present. Three, spending at least 30% of your time out there with customers and peers. And four, a knowledge of relevant global trends and adequate time alone to absorb this mass of information and thus sharpen your thinking and gut instinct. To a lot of people, the idea of seeing around the bend in business sounds more like magic than common sense. That's why I notice a lot of raised eyebrows when I tell my team members or external colleagues that one of the biggest problems getting in the way of an organization's honest and frank interaction on trucks and trends boils down to one word, presentations. Yes, I'm referring to those 20 or 200 or more slides we take more than a day to prepare for and less than an hour to go over in the next day's meeting, when in reality, the top person in the room only wants to see the last three slides. When you present upwards to a group of people higher on the organization chart than you, you will, without fail, tell them what they want to hear. The truth gets buried under an avalanche of bullshit. An entrepreneur and a leader needs to be direct. On more than one occasion, I've had to say, people, let's cut to the chase. I need to know the plan versus the actuals. I need to understand the challenges and what we need to do differently. Are we on track or do we need to review our short and long-term goals? Is the team on the same page and charged? Of course, if people have spent significant time preparing the presentation, you don't want to demolish them. Most conference or meeting rooms have electronic blinds that drop for presentations. The lights go off, giving everyone in the room implicit permission to do everything but listen to the presentation, including checking their mails or WhatsApp messages. In most cases, the presenter's body language tells you much more than the words or the image on the slide. But you can't see these non-verbal cues in a dark room. My blunt and direct way to end a presentation is to press the button for the screen to go up and the lights to come on. Look, I think this is a great presentation. You spent a lot of time on it, I say. But right now, we need to discuss the issues at hand. Mail it to me and I'll study it tonight. Instead of putting the presenter on the defensive, you've diffused the situation and refocused the team's attention on your reason for the meeting in the first place. Look me straight in the eye and let's discuss the issues at hand. I'm reading between the lines of what you're saying here and I want to talk about our best course forward. Much of how you've received when you encounter the jarring predicament goes back to how well your team understands and buys into the culture you've established. 
Pull down someone who, in good faith, has given you his views on the state of the company and 10 people will stop listening to you immediately, too busy being pissed off at you or worrying about how you can avoid getting gutted when it's time for them to speak. Pull down someone who, in good faith, has given you his views on the state of the company and 10 people will stop listening to you immediately too busy being pissed off at you or worrying about how they can avoid getting gutted when it's time for them to speak. A counterproductive mindset, to say the least. Great communicators communicate. To boil business down to PowerPoints, Excel spreadsheets and numbers is to ignore the advantage that experience brings to the table. Looking around the bend and spotting trucks and trends all sounds good on paper. But without a team behind you, none of it matters or is even possible. Throughout this book, I've emphasized the importance of open and honest communication and counting people, not information, and certainly not money, as the most important assets your company will ever have. Lose your best people and no amount of data or money will lead to success. That two-way communication and Open planning is vital for culture building, allowing the team to feel as though it's part of the story and not just being told the story. For years, outside of regular interactions at group levels, I've anchored that sense of belonging in a wrap-up mail to all team members at the end of each calendar year, capping our accomplishments during the previous year and setting our challenges and goals for the coming year. All to increase our sense of being in this thing together and creating something we will be proud of. I think back to another time when I asked six colleagues to join me for an emergency Saturday evening meeting. None of them had cars then and it happened to be a day of a taxi strike. Everyone discussed logistics and wondered if we could meet early Monday morning. So I drove down myself and picked my colleagues up at their homes. After sitting at the closest coffee shop, and completing the meeting, I dropped each of them back home. To them, it was a meeting. To me, it was a way of setting the company's culture. I recall receiving a farewell mail from Mailita Aga, a longtime colleague at UTV, who joined our trend-setting core team in Singapore before marrying and relocating to the US. I know it never was, and certainly not for you, but because you made it look simple and doable, you had many believers, she wrote, summing up the culture and work ethos I always throw for at UTV and every other company I have founded along the way. At most times, we knew we were doing brave and out-of-the-ordinary things and it could go wrong at any time. But we did it because you believed in it, and I guess in all of us. I couldn't have been happier or more proud to have her endorsement. In the end, though, her words didn't have anything to do with me. It was about the entire team and the culture we created together through open and frank communication. How do entrepreneurs spot trends and convert ideas into action? Earlier, I shared how we created a whole ecosystem when developing the concept of daily soaps, Shanti Onwards, based on a trend we had spotted. We took the leap and opened the floodgates letting India become the soap capital of Asia, much like South America had become the soap capital of the Americas and the European Union before that. 
A similar epiphany led us to believe that Southeast Asia was ripe for disruption and our outreach to Singapore and Malaysia in those early days was about spotting a trend and being bold and pathbreaking in our execution. Our plan to expand into Singapore and Malaysia began in a New York hotel where I was speaking at a media conference. An old school friend, Firdos Karas, happened to be in the same city as well. After school, Firdos had emigrated to Canada and joined politics there in the state service as a senior member of the Government for Immigration. He was in New York for meetings at the United Nations. Over room service dinner that evening, I shared my views on expanding to Singapore and Malaysia, telling him that I needed someone with his experience to suss out the details. In Singapore, I knew it would be important for us to connect with the government at all levels and to reach out to the country's two main media groups and see if they would be willing to work with us. Equally important for us was to secure the support of the Singapore Economic Development Board, EDB. Likewise, in Malaysia, we needed a local Bhumi partner to give us access to the main players in the media and entertainment space. Firdos was winding down his role in the Canadian government and he had great connections in Southeast Asia. I'd be happy to take on the challenge, he said, sounding almost as excited as I was about the prospect. So dinner ended with dollops of ice cream, both of us have a sweet tooth, and an agreement to work together with a success fee for Firdos if things worked out. The company would cover his expenses for 60 days to see what sort of progress he could make in the meantime. We stayed in touch twice a week with calls, started the process of approvals from India for our prospective expansion into Southeast Asia, and identified key colleagues at UTV interested in moving to Singapore or Kuala Lumpur. It was important to start day one in both countries with the culture we had built in India. Creative disruption and innovation, frugality and the highest level of passion. Plus, neither Singapore nor Kuala Lumpur had an established talent base or infrastructure. So we would need to train our new team members and possibly build our own studio. All this planning was a bit premature, of course, as we had not decided anything yet. In true UTV style, though, we hurtled forward with confidence and clarity, identifying a trend and doggedly setting out to make the most of the opportunity. Three months after the New York meeting, Firdos, three of my colleagues who were on board to move to Southeast Asia should all go as planned, and I were crammed into a room at the Shangri-La Hotel in Kuala Lumpur with whiteboards and charts. Firdos laid out his findings. The EDB is keen to support us, he said, and we found a Bumi partner in Kuala Lumpur. None other than the son of the ruling king of Malaysia who had heard good things about UTV and is eager to partner with us. After hearing the news, we munched on some delicious complimentary chocolates in the hotel room. Ninety minutes later, out of which fifteen minutes were spent discussing the merits of fine complimentary chocolates, I stood up and said, Enough talking, let's just do this. Though first, we'll need some more chocolates. That was the start of another journey in our media and entertainment career. It's not enough to spot trends if you're not in a position to push the envelope before everyone else has had a chance to join up. The need for a leader to stay abreast of both the macro and the micro picture has never been more crucial than today, when information overload threatens to overwhelm the team. 
you need to know the difference between important data and background noise and become adept at handling the mundane day-to-day -day details as well as the long-term thinking. Mastering the micro-picture means staying in touch with colleagues, finding solutions to the problems you've identified together, preempting trucks and empowering your team. At the macro level, stay in touch with everything out there by meeting your customers and understanding their future plans, and thus spotting trends for your organization. Most of all, you need to sharpen business acumen. Not only understanding numbers and financials, which are undoubtedly important, but also displaying overall commercial savviness. Only then can you take an idea, create an opportunity, and convert that opportunity into a commercially viable plan. To spot trends or trucks, you need to know everything about your enterprise and everything about business. Because once you pass the start line, the race doesn't stop. Ever. Throughout, Murphy's Law will apply. Anything that can happen will happen. That's why you're the leader. Peace of mind and a good night's sleep come from knowing that the job is in the right hands. Streamlining your operation, hiring well, letting others share your vision as you spot trucks and trends will see you through 7 out of 10 times. In business, we would call that success. Looking around the bend requires a constant state of alertness. No room for complacency. Get accustomed to the notion that you can become outdated in an instant. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room to be a great leader. Just the one who knows the most about every aspect of your organization and can make decisions based on its best interest. The discipline required is relentless analysis. For the first five to seven years or more of building a company, you'll need to set out time to think about strategy. What you'll discover, though, is that the day-to-day -day issues zap your time in ways you can't even imagine. Maybe you're growing so fast that you're hiring people who are turning out to be less effective than you'd hoped. Or you're bringing on good people who take a while to get up to speed. Or you're having a tougher time than you'd hoped establishing the culture of your business. The truth is, Everything and anything that comes with growing a business can come at you at once. Entrepreneurs embrace such frenzy. The downside to staying on top of things, though, is that you're not giving yourself enough time to think. In that case, make time, knowing that your ability to see around the bend will be that crucial differentiator for your company, your investors, your team, and your stakeholders. Looking around the bend also fortifies your retention of people. The minute you get a handle on the trucks and trends and prove to your people you're an honest, competent leader, they buy into the culture you've created, learning and growing as team members, and perhaps even as aspiring entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs, which is what you yearn for as a leader. Naturally, some stress and sharp learning curve come with constantly being on the alert. But it's nice to lead a team that you can call into the conference room at lunchtime every couple of weeks to think about the future trends affecting the company. Having someone at the helm who every so often breaks out of that get-it-done-yesterday mindset refreshes and rejuvenates colleagues and strengthens the respect of peers, team members and external contacts.
Otherwise, as a leader, you can be a very good operational person, but you won't earn absolute respect, the all-in vote of confidence that prompts your team to think, I really want to work with this person because I'm learning something new every day from her. So what is the process that will allow a successful entrepreneur and the team time to think, I'm often asked. The question tends to come from skeptics unconvinced that such use of time can be productive. Do you just sit there, physically go someplace else, tune out and turn everything off for half a day? Don't view thinking in terms of a regimen, but discipline, I answer. When focused on the process, find your zone. On the treadmill, when out for a walk, while listening to music, in the bath, on a drive. I hate driving in Mumbai, but sometimes when something's troubling me, I drive. Just let my mind go. In fact, driving in India is a neat metaphor for looking around the bend. One half of your driving skill amounts to how you drive. The other half preempts how everybody else drives. That's just India. No lane traffic, absolute chaos, and a heightened sense of alertness and anticipation that accompanies the normally simple and safe act of driving. As a leader and entrepreneur, be vigilant in the best possible way. Keep your head on straight. When everyone else talks about a new trend or an idea that sounds too good to be true, the red flag should go up and you ought to take over. Like the intrepid Indiana Jones, you'll walk up to the mouth of the cave, stick your head inside and say, it's a trap, we're turning around, and get the hell out of there. Your team will thank you one day. Chapter Summary You have to take the hard calls, not the popular ones. There's no room for compromise. If you do that today, you'll find a reason to do it always. You have to know when to pivot or cut your losses and walk. And that's the toughest part of building any enterprise. Don't make trucks somebody else's problem. Trends, unless acted upon, just remain ideas. Communication within your company has to be frank and open. Watch out for those presenting upwards, as this never gives the true or complete picture. You need to have sharp business acumen and commercial savviness. There is no substitute for these qualities. At the end of the day, people, not information and technology, and certainly not money, are the most important assets your company will ever have.